Hey everyone, welcome to the Her on Top podcast, episode two. Today we are going to discuss childhood sexuality. No, we are not talking about having sex as children. In this episode, we discuss learning about gender, sex, and our bodies for the first time and how that has influenced us. We discuss questions like, when did we start to know we had a gender? Did our parents ever talk to us about sex? What messaging did we receive around sex growing up? And what were our experiences with puberty? If you enjoy this episode, please follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find your podcasts. While you're there, we would love for you to leave us a review with a comment or question you would like us to discuss in one of our episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at herontoppod. All right, let's get into it. Hey, KK, how you doing today? I'm good. Welcome, listeners, to our second episode. Hello, um, everyone. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm having a little bit of a day. I've raised my cortisol myself a, a good couple of times, so I'm working on that right now Um, as a lovely also tip from you so that I, I don't have a heart attack. Um, Yeah. Hi, guys. One thing you may not know about me, I am very passionate about anything and everything, so I have to tone that down sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been a week for me, too. I've been super busy at work, but it's good to be busy. It's just a little exhausting this week. But yeah, I'm I'm doing good. I am grateful to be here. I'm grateful that it's sunny outside. And um, yeah, it's good to be here on a Friday recording with you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, do you have anything to add to that? For no, I okay. will not. I will not bother our listeners with with any more of what my day has been. So. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um. So today, listeners, we are jumping in to our sexuality topics, and our first topic that we're going to be talking about is sex and sexuality in childhood. And some of you may think, you know. Are you having sex in childhood? No, that's not exactly what we're talking about. So we're going to be talking about what does it look like for sexuality to be something that you are coming to know as you are growing um, and all the aspects that go into that. Um, and then we'll kind of go through the, you know, stuff that we have time for today. And depending on how much we get through, we might get to when we actually have had sex for the first time, but um, most of it is just going to be like, what was it like for us growing up and learning about sex, learning about our bodies, learning about our gender and how that has influenced us. So are you ready to get into it? I am very ready. I'm very excited for this episode. I think it's somewhere that people don't always want to go or has a little bit of a taboo around it. Mm -hmm. um, of going towards melding childhood and sex together. Like, I, right. I understand it. There's reasons why um, people might feel uncomfortable at times. But I think it's a really important part of understanding your sexuality when you become an adult of mm -hmm. how that was fostered as a child. So that's why we're delving into this today. Yep. Yep, exactly. And just for you to know as well, if you were to do sex therapy or talk to a therapist about this, a lot of these questions come from what we call a sex history. So this is just kind of getting an overview of what your whole history around sex has looked like. And a lot of times we go all the way back to childhood and what messages you were getting. So just know that a lot of what we're going to be talking about about ourselves could be something that you may encounter if you wanted to talk more about this with a therapist in the future. So let's get into these and I will kind of be the one conducting our conversation and then we'll kind of just be going back and forth and chatting about our own experiences. So where we are going to start is with gender. So the first question would be, when did you start to know that you had a gender and did you like it when you kind of figured out that that was your gender? Well, for this one, I 
feel a little bit, I don't want to say I feel bad, but for me, at least personally, ever since the day I came onto this earth, there has been no doubt I am a girl and very girly girl to the nth degree. And there is, I will say there's never been a moment where I've ever questioned my gender or I've never had a feeling like I didn't feel like me in my own body, Mm -hmm. which is I know what a lot of people feel when, you know, they're going through struggles with their gender and not matching who you feel like to what you look like. Mm -hmm. And I've had that in other contexts in my life of where things don't align maybe with how I feel and or how I look and different things like that. Mm-hmm. But never with my gender, though. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just – that's never for me been something. What What about you? Have you – did you ever have anything like that or no, kind of similar? Not that I can remember. And I think some of these questions are actually really hard for me because I, I feel like I just don't remember. I don't remember really becoming aware of – my gender. And again, like you're saying, I do think that there's privilege in that, that, you know, for those of us that are what we call cisgender. So we're aligned with the, it's actually your sex at birth, but because our culture has conflated sex and gender together. You know, if you have a vagina, you're considered a girl. If you have a penis, you're considered a boy. And then all the things that go with that at birth. So, um, for those of us that do identify with the gender that we were kind of prescribed at birth due to our genitalia, um, I do think, you know, there's a, there's a privilege there of not actually probably having had like an aha moment because it was just kind of what it was. I feel like it's just kind of like you're treated one way and then, it kind of matches how you feel. Um, So I don't have, yeah, I don't feel like I have a specific moment in time where I was like, oh yes, I know that I'm a girl. Um, And I don't think it clicked for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it was until like college when I was actually studying like women's studies and gender studies and trying to understand these things that I started to question, like, why do I feel like a girl? And is that a bad thing? Is it bad to, you know, like the color pink or feel like you are more feminine? Um, And I came to the conclusion that no, nothing, none of that is a bad thing. I think it's just, again, being more in line with what society is already expecting of you. So with the gender chat here, I think the other really prevalent thing, at least for you and I, and how our gender has been constructed through our life and through our early childhood, I think it really does have to do a lot with our age as well. Just Mm -hmm. because when we were little, Kayla and I were both born in 93. So we're 90s babies. So through up until even like 2000, where we still do remember from the 90s and that chunk of time even, there was no one talking about any gender fluidity. Like that was not a prevalent thing in society that it is today in 2023 or even from, you know, 2017 on, where Mm -hmm. I feel like it has become a very common topic conversation especially over the last four years here um so I think that that I do think that time plays a little bit of a role into that for you and I as well because I don't think there were I don't remember one kid in our class maybe that was or anyone ever talking when we were young children about whether you identified with your gender and your sex were aligned I don't mm-hmm. I don't remember that even being something that was even discussed with us that like that that Mm-mm. could be a possibility. No. So no. I I think that that also might and I don't want to discount anyone who does have gender struggles 
saying that, you know, the only reason you're having these, I don't want to take the quote unquote, somewhat more conservative outlook on it of, well, the reason that we have more people being fluid with their gender is because we're just talking about it so much and proposing it and saying that it's an option. So people are just willy nilly choosing it. Like, I do not think that that is at all why we have so many more people who are trans now or who are playing with aspects of their gender to to figure out who they really are. Mm -hmm. I just think that because it's been such now a talked about topic that I think there's more people who are able to look at those feelings that they maybe did have younger and go, maybe this is what that was. Like, I didn't understand why I felt this way in a situation or that way with certain people when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But now that I see that this is something that is real, um, maybe that's where I align. So I, I just think that also maybe timing might have played a part for you and I, where maybe if we were growing up today, I have no idea if we would feel mm-hmm. any different. We might feel the exact same. That we're both pretty much, we both feel like girls. We like being mm-hmm. girls. We identify with our gender completely. Mm-hmm. And it matches who we are. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, yeah, I think it just gives more language for people to be able to describe what they're feeling. And yeah, I agree. If you know, it'll be interesting, you know, with my son and this next generation of what it looks like for them to really be figuring out their gender. And, you know, I'm very much wanting to try to protect him from having to just be one thing. I really want to, even though we call, you know, his pronouns are he, him Mm -hmm. until he tells us any differently and he has, you know, a masculine name until he tells us differently. I still am really wanting to make sure that he, you know, has all options of how he wants to try on different ways of expressing his gender um, or, you know, decide that his gender is completely different than what we would have thought it would be. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting as more generations keep creating new ways of thinking about gender. Completely how it's going to keep shifting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely understand that. And I mean, I, I just, the thing I always come back to with with gender, and I mean, I will say just really, really quick, because I don't want this to be long at all, but I did come from working in healthcare for about four to five years of my career. Mm-hmm. And I will say that was a very, very hard aspect to deal with at this time, mm-hmm. which somewhat like you've said of, you know, sex and gender are two very different things. Your 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 sex is a biological anatomy makeup. Mm-hmm. Your gender is constructed through your identity and who you are and what you identify as and how you feel within mm-hmm. this body that you're living. Mm-hmm. So I just think, you know, with with things like that, I I really am excited for how this will probably open up into different avenues and I really hope that actually the healthcare sector is able to do a lot better job with with that because I know that you know I don't I don't think that a lot of the intake forms and things right now are created for people like that and I saw mm-hmm. that all the time working in it. So yeah. I am excited for this to progress and to be more of a fluid and commonly talked about thing mm-hmm. for anyone who doesn't totally feel like exactly how you were made is who you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that we as cisgendered people also need to start opening up the doors for. I think that's something that maybe we should even start doing on this podcast in, mm-hmm. you know, either our intro or whatever. I've been really trying in my own practice to make sure that I'm introducing myself with my pronouns as well so that it, you know, leaves that door open for people to also 
feel comfortable to express their pronouns. And, you know, most people are either, you know, brushing past it or don't really even pay attention to me saying that. But I do think for somebody that has pronouns that, you know, wouldn't be necessarily what somebody would think their pronouns are, I hope that that's something that would help them feel more comfortable that I was the one that presented that first. So, you know, there's all different ways that I think we can keep this ball rolling and helping everyone to feel like there's space and room for whatever you identify as and whoever you are. That That's really the goal is for everyone to just feel like they can be themselves, their true, honest, authentic selves without any judgment or shame. Exactly. And it's it's going to take a while, but... I've got Uh, a funny anecdote, though, for you saying that incorporating more into like your introductions of people and everything like that. So it is really comical to me. I love that my work does this in all of our email signatures. It'll say like best or sincerely, whatever, in all of our graphics. It'll have our name and there's a bar. And next to the bar, it gives both of our pronouns of whatever we want to be. And I love that we do that so that anyone you're speaking with over the internet does know what your pronouns are and can address you properly. The funny thing that I find being being cisgendered, I I am anatomically a girl. I feel like a girl. My gender is a girl. It all adds. But because my name is Alex, the Mm -hmm. amount of emails I get that say, oh, hello, sir. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I get that from my name, but when there's literally a she, her next to my name, can we not just recognize that I'm a girl too? Like I am. I know my name doesn't sound girly, but I am a girl. Mm -hmm. So I even find that um, being a cisgendered person with my own signature that people call me by the wrong pronoun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, it's going to be a whole new wall game when... Yeah, older generations are kind of not in the sphere anymore. I don't want to just say died, but they're not around in the workplace as much anymore. And, you know, even our generation, but definitely, you know, generations that are younger than us have a lot more gender neutral names. And oh, yeah, it's not just easy to, I mean, you should never do this anyway, but it's not just going to be easy to be like, oh, this name sounds masculine or this name sounds feminine because I think a lot of people have more gender neutral names now. So, I mean, yeah, if if you tell me that your name is Arrow, I'm I'm really not sure. Are you a girl or are you? I I really don't know. (laughs) Or were your parents just in love with archery? I'm not sure. (laughs) Shout out to all the arrows out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If there's anyone named Arrow listening, fun name. I actually like that. Right? Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next question. Yes. Um, Just because we have a lot of questions here and probably not a lot of time. So I'm going to pick out the ones that I think are most interesting. So love it. Did your parents talk to you about sex growing up? Mm. You know what's interesting? A a little bit, but actually not very much. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, actually, I think my grandmother talked with me and for anyone who doesn't know Kayla actually had met my grandmother. Uh, She's an interesting force to be reckoned with. And she says anything and everything that, um, like as she said, because she's not here, but uh, very blunt of a human being and had Mm -hmm. no fear or shame in talking about any topic. Mm -hmm. So I believe she actually talked with me more about sex, self-pleasuring, anything in that realm more than my mom or dad did. But the one thing I will kind of go back to is that's interesting to me now looking back and as an adult. Mm -hmm. I was allowed to watch a lot of movies that were adult Mm -hmm. films Mm -hmm. that had sex very prevalently through them. Mm -hmm. And at young ages, very young ages, you know, like I remember at four, one of my favorite movies was Forrest Gump. I used to watch it all the time. There's multiple different um, situations that are sexual in nature in that. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole thought 
behind it for them was she can watch these adult things. She's going to understand the context of some of what's going on. And Mm -hmm. she's not going to understand the context of others. Like she just doesn't, isn't going to know what it is until she gets older. Mm -hmm. And if she does have questions about it and is, is confused by it, she can come and ask us about it. And I mean, there was that. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I brought that up, there is there was one time that we definitely did have like a little bit of a chat about sex and our bodies and different things. And I can say that for both Kayla and I, we grew up very like in the arts. We weren't as much Mm -hmm. sports kids as we were in the art realm of, Mm -hmm. you know, music, drama, all that kind of stuff, things like that. Mm -hmm. So our parents took us to a lot of musicals and different things to foster that creativity in us. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to see the musical Hair in Seattle as I think I was in the third, maybe the fourth grade. So they all get like full buck naked on stage. That is a whole part of the musical. (laughs) Like they all fully undress. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, we actually, I saw that musical with my mom, dad, our second our second grade teacher, and her husband. Mm-hmm. And I do remember the whole car home. We had, like, conversations about all of that and, like, what was going on and why and all of those components. Mm-hmm. So it was talked about in certain contexts, but there was never, like, an official, like, birds and bees talk that we had. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that that didn't really exist. Yeah. What yeah. about what about you? How was I know your mom? I know well, I know you were naturally a lot more curious with it than I was to ask the questions. So mm-hmm. how did your experience kind of go with that? Again, I don't really recall what specific conversations we had. Obviously, if you tuned into the last episode, we talked about how I, you know, begged my mom to get me some books on where babies came from and inherently that talked about sex. Um, so I remember kind of, you know, obviously asking some questions when I read those books, but I don't, I don't really remember having conversations and that's either like a tribute to my mom, maybe answering questions as I had them. And so it didn't really stick out in my mind or we just didn't really talk about it either, but I think in general, my mom was pretty open about things. So I want to say that we probably had some conversations along the way. I also think that just like, even though I do think that I still got messaging around like what it was supposed to, what women are supposed to look like and, you know, the the whole diet culture and everything was pervasive. But I think my mom in general was pretty comfortable about like walking around the house naked or just kind of being, you know, just herself in her own body. Nothing that was uncomfortable or not okay. Just the fact that like we were in our own home and that was a fine. So I feel like, and I remember growing up, I used to take like showers with my grandma and stuff. And that Mm -hmm. was never a big deal. And like my grandma had, um, I think she had, I can't remember if it was one or both, but she had breast cancer at one point. And so she had at least one breast removed, if not both, um, And I remember that being like a topic that we talked about. So I know we're kind of veering off of sex, but just in terms of like bodies and being something that was normalized for me, I feel like the women in my life didn't really shame bodies as much, even though, again, I think all the women in my life still kind of had their own issues around their own bodies. But at least around me, it felt like they were pretty comfortable with it and never, you know, like specifically said like this is not okay um so i wonder if that had any impact on me too just feeling a little bit more comfortable um, you know but yeah i also agree with the whole like watching movies and stuff that i think 
I feel like a lot of our generation watched like R-rated movies by the time we were like five years old. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I mean, you had all your... If anyone is listening to this that is not near our age group, we had these things called VHSs, and that's what you got to watch. And they were physical tapes that you had to yeah. actually rewind them. Like, you didn't just get to hit play again and it would go. So, right. yeah, like, we all had a collection of the things to watch. And, yeah, I do feel that way. And I will touch on the point that you made because I think this is a huge thing, too. Mm-hmm. Nudity in my home just like yours, it was never shameful. Like, yeah, my mom would walk around without her bra off or walk around getting dressed or whatever it was, or I'd run out. I never had clothes on, to be honest with everyone. <laughs> I literally never had clothes on as a child. Like, it's a, it's a miracle they got clothes on me to go to school even. So <laughs> I never had clothes on. And it was I was never shamed for it. It was never, Alex, go in your room and go put your clothes on. What are you doing? A lady does not, you don't do that. That was never a message I got, like Mm -hmm. ever. So, and like you said, I think all the women in our lives, definitely from the way that they grew up in the eras that they lived through, Mm -hmm. had their own things with their body and Mm -hmm. things like that. But at least at that young of an age, I don't think any of that got put onto us at that point or any of those parts. It was, but yes, it was just a very, very comfortable. Situation at home where no, you weren't shameful about your body or getting undressed, getting in the shower, doing any of these things that are normal things that every human does. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, so I I do think that does. I love that you brought that up because I do, I do think that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And I've seen how that manifests in as I've gotten older in friends who did have like their parents only changed their clothes with the doors shut in their bedroom and they mm-hmm. did not like. I think that does make a big difference a little bit in mm-hmm. the way that you feel about your body and mm-hmm. the, sh- the sh- shame of being naked, I guess mm-hmm. is how to say it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I we could go into more of this too, but I I had a conversation with a client recently on like, when is an appropriate age for your child to not see you as a parent naked? And I didn't have a good answer for that. I was like, I don't know, because I still see my parents I still naked. walk in on my mom naked <laughs> at her home on Whidbey Island, and I am 30 years old. Yeah. There's no day. De- I mean, I will say this. I don't think ever since I got into, like, high school, I didn't really ever see my dad naked anymore. Like, yeah. that wasn't as common of a thing by that point, of right. course. But... At least my mom, yeah, Yeah. I still see her boobs all the bloody time, and I'm 30, (laughs) and I don't feel weird about it at all. I'm like, well, thank you for giving me these things. They're kind of a pain in the butt, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, like you're saying, it might also, again, this kind of comes into gender and who is comfortable with who. And obviously in our culture, we usually put women with women or, you know, girls and women with women and Mm -hmm. boys and men with men. Um, So, but yeah. And, you know, I also try to do the same. I mean, my child is only one and a half, so like he can't, I don't, he doesn't really understand these things yet either. But I mean, that's something that I don't want him to feel weird about. And I don't want to be weird about. No. about showing our bodies, but no. I mean, even even at this young age, like he is noticing, you know, body parts on us. And I mean, he's actually learning body parts on himself. Oh, he is? Yeah. Yeah. I he, love that. He knows like most of his body parts. I think his favorite one is his belly button. <laughs> <laughs> the body part that literally does nothing once you've been born. Yeah. Gotta love it. But you know what? That's his choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, he's seen my husband naked and he noticed his, you know, all the different aspects of his body and um, trying to navigate like, yeah, I guess I am comfortable with you like pointing out my penis and being like, that's a penis. <laughs> oh, that actually does bring me to a good question. What's your yeah. take on uh parents who choose to call body parts anything other than the name that they are? Mm-hmm. 
What's your take on that? Do you are you're going in? I'm guessing saying yes, Rex. That is your penis. Mm-hmm. Like we're not calling it your ding dong. We're not calling it like all these other things. Like you know, yeah. because actually, I even wonder about that on people who refer to their child's penis or have them call it a ding dong. If they walk through the grocery store and they find a ding dong, aren't they going to get confused? Are they Probably. not going to get confused? Is why is the chocolate pastry the same name as my penis? <laughs> I literally wonder that sometimes. I'm like, okay, but I know that it's unco- there were uncomfortable words yeah. historically to say. Right. Yeah. No, I I mean this comes from my background too and learning that it is better to have kids learn the anatomically correct wording for their genitalia because it's helpful for them to learn it and to kind of have ownership of it to feel like, okay, I understand my own body enough to where I can use it in the ways that I want to, I guess, or explore it in the ways that I want to. But also when it comes to then setting boundaries around their own body that they have the language to set boundaries too. Um, so yeah, we, we use anatomically correct, correct. language, um, which again, I don't even remember if I learned that until later either um but i don't know yeah so i i often wonder like how did i become so okay with sex because it's not like i grew up in a we didn't grow up in a weird like swingers like our parents weren't swingers and like having parties of people just having sex around our house like it wasn't like that no but i just think that maybe honestly it is that you and i just literally had so little shame around it that we were able to really like be curious about what we want to be curious and especially you because I'll say even through the years of going through like middle school into high school everything it is truly looking back no shock to me that you work in the field you do Mm -hmm. because you were so intrigued by sex and educating yourself Mm-hmm. on what it was and how to make it good and you know what are just everything that goes into having a sexual relationship with a partner and yeah. and educating yourself on that right right so absolutely so i think that should take us into our next ooh. question of so we talked about parents giving us messages around sex, but what messages, if any, do you feel like were influential for you growing up from other sources, whether it was like from what we learned at school to just like talking with friends and peers or, you know, we both went to church until a period of time. And uh-huh. so, you know, any of the messaging in church or media, like we said, movies or music or anything like that what are what do you think are the prominent messages around sex that you had growing up that maybe stuck with you over time i th- i think that's a great question i th- i think a lot of the positive messaging that i got was through movies tv and music i think those were the three that like gave me the most powerfully positive outlook on sex. Yeah. That was where that really came from. And like, I think especially as we grew into, you know, areas of time while we grew up where people were becoming a lot more powerful in their sexuality and being okay with that and that being okay in the media mm-hmm. and showing that and seeing that. And I think, I think a lot of that I learned there. Yeah. And I, my issue, and, and here's where it's also different, right? I, we didn't go to public school, so I can't speak on that experience. Right. But I have friends who did go to public schools mm-hmm. at the same times that we did And I hate to say it, but it seems like whether we were in Catholic school and people maybe think that because we went to Catholic school, they basically like came in with rulers and were like, sex is horrible. You're going to hell if you have sex. And 
bad, 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 taboo, taboo, taboo. That really wasn't what it was. By the time we mm-hmm. actually had any sex ed, it was literally just like anatomical parts and it was mm-hmm. periods and it was things like that. And mm-hmm. people I've talked to who went to public schools will reiterate the same thing. And so I don't know if maybe that was just a very common uh, umbrella that all of educational systems used at that time when we were growing up to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. But the part that I do think a little is a little ridiculous with that is the fact that it is basically only about anatomy. Like mm-hmm. when I look back on sex education, whether it was high school or like kind of sixth grade through eighth grade there when they even started any of that, mm-hmm. I think that the fact that all it was was anatomical identifying pieces and 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 how you know uh, how our reproductive systems work mm-hmm. i think that's horse shit that's great for an anatomy class that you want to teach or if you want to mm-hmm. teach like biological responses and and how mm-hmm. those systems work and i'm so sorry i don't have a more eloquent and like medical way to say that right now but i find that bullshit because that's not what sex is. That, that, that mm-hmm. isn't. Like, I think it's crazy that there's no education really anywhere until you get to be an adult and you can seek out resources for yourself of people who have had podcasts or written blogs or mm-hmm. discussed parts of sex and different preferences how to have good sex, like what is good sex and what's good for a male versus a female. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that none of that is taught or like taught, how do men have an orgasm? How is it common for women to orgasm? Like the fact that that exists nowhere because apparently that's still like a dirty thing to talk about is honest, Mm -hmm. crazy to me. Like that's Mm -hmm. how, and I hate to say it, that's how you get people thinking that, you know, um, uh, if we only have anal sex, we we didn't actually have sex. Mm-hmm. So that was fine in high school because we are actually still virgins. We only had anal sex. It's like, come on. Like the, the, the fear mongering aspect to me that I think gets placed into the how to's and like, I'm not trying to say go in and simulate sex for eighth graders and show them how to have sex. That's not what I'm talking about. But at least by the times maybe you're getting later into high school, the fact that there's mm-hmm. no programs out there of, you know, do you right now, do you identify as heterosexual? Do you identify as homosexual? What mm-hmm. what are your preferences? And then let's get you into a sex ed class that's tailored for you and your sexuality and what you need to know to go out and have a happy, productive positive sex life as an adult. I think mm-hmm. that part to me is just what was so lacking in our sex education growing up. And it still is lacking. It still doesn't exist. And we have people right. complaining about sex ed and, and children mm-hmm. not learning about it. And it, it it's, it's mind boggling to me. Right. Well, I mean, it's really interesting I, I don't want to go too much into this because I want to stay on us kind of discussing these topics of on ourselves. But it is interesting that a lot of this comes down to you, whether it's taught in school or whether it's going to be taught at home. And one, I do think that parents teaching this is way more influential than kids getting taught these things at school. But like you're saying, a lot of parents, because of how we have treated sex in our society historically, and also, you know, religious preferences and beliefs and all of that, a lot of parents don't want to teach their kids about sex at all, Mm -hmm. and therefore don't want them to be taught in school either. But it's like, in order for your child to be a healthy, happy, independent adult one day like this is a really really important aspect of their life that they need to know about and i think that's what a lot of people 
don't really understand fully is like how much sex really is so much wrapped up into like who you are as a person, how you feel like you can walk into a room and present yourself. I feel like it's so tied with confidence and just, yeah, if you are feeling good about yourself, I feel like a lot of people have a lot easier time accessing their sexuality than when we're feeling really shitty about ourselves. And so it really is just this basic aspect of who we are that needs to be talked about, that needs to be taught. And also, like you're saying, needs to be taught not only just the anatomical stuff, like that's really important too. We all should know our body parts, but also like how does that, again, relate to the context of being in a relationship when you're trying to have sex with somebody else? There's all these other things going on. There's all these other like thoughts and feelings and like, how does this person feel about me? And am I doing this right? And all the stuff that comes with being in relationship to another person that we're not talking about when we only talk about like penis goes in vagina or penis goes in, you know, other holes in the body. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but the fact that 90% of sex education has focused around a penis for all of time is right. ridiculous to me as well. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Thank the patriarchy for that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn true. So um, in terms of like messaging for me, I think it's interesting that you said that kind of media was a positive influence because I almost feel like it was for me too, even though Mm -hmm. looking back, like we were in the era of like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and like all these women that were starting to like come into their sexuality more, but were also still like teenagers at the time or, you know, very young adults and, you know, were dressing like, very risque or you know mm-hmm. i you know i don't it is. say risque because I, I feel like that's kind of an old conservative word but um you know they were dressing without very many clothes on oh yeah um but for some reason like that still feels like it was empowering like even though it was, it was like sex in our face and almost kind of like sex sells because i i feel like some of that may not have even been their choice to do that but um I don't know. I just I feel like it was kind of like these women are also badasses. And yeah, I I mean, I looked up to a lot of these women um, and yeah, I feel like it kind of made it OK to like, again, show your body, be confident in your body to move in a sexy way. But that didn't necessarily have to mean that, you know, we're asking for it or no. putting ourselves in harm's way. It was just like, I'm. I can again, own my sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if other people may have taken that differently, but yeah, I feel like for me or for us, it sounds like, like yeah. that was a really positive experience. And then, you know, I think there's problematic things too. I'm definitely like a rom com lover and you child do. of rom-com lover <laughs> mom and I definitely love our rom-coms and um Hallmark channel and all of that um and I know as an adult now you know obviously there are problematic tropes that happen in rom-coms mm-hmm. um but I you know I grew up on rom- rom-coms and definitely the sex scenes that they show in romantic comedies are not real life either no um, so, you know, I wonder what I thought back then versus what I think now, because I feel like it's always kind of hard to think you back in hindsight of all the stuff that I've learned now versus what I would have thought back then. Um, you know, I will say there's but, one thing that the movies and TV and media don't show you in sex scenes that I was like a little stunned by once I got into my own sex life. What, They're putting on messy. a condom? They're messy. It's just messy. Like it's nowhere in a very messy. does it look messy. Nowhere in yeah. music videos or TV shows does it ever look messy. And then you actually get into it and you're like, this is like a this is a lot of things everywhere going on. And like 
fluids and all of this. Like it's messier than I thought. That I think that's the one Very thing messy. that media did not prepare me for. Was it was like, oh, okay. There's a cleanup aspect to this whole ordeal as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I was trying to say like putting on the condom. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's never shown. Kind of the prep for sex or like you're saying yeah. aftercare or cleanup of sex. That's obviously never shown because that's not sexy. That's not no. something that is like, oh, yeah, we really want to watch people do that part. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's part of the whole process. And well, actually, those are know- things that are not talked about. The funniest thing that I'm now thinking about of media and sex education, of how common it is in media when they portray sex education of like, because you just referenced putting condom on, Mm -hmm. the condom over banana. Like that is in so many movies, TV shows, all of it, right? Right. I don't ever remember once in a sex education someone teaching me how to put a condom on. Ever once. No. No, we never got the condom and the banana thing. Nope. Media showed it and was like, "Oh, this is how you can do this." Yeah, but did actual sex? No, we didn't. We didn't. You didn't see. That's what's crazy to me is even that was too taboo to even show kids. But it's like, to me, it's just the crazy idea that you know you you want to teach them about sex, but like mm. we also can't talk about ninety percent of the things about sex because that's too much. It's like either talk either talk about it or don't. Like, come on, like lift the veil. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it comes from this belief that if we talk about it, it's going to propel kids Them to, have to it. do it more. And actually, the research shows the complete opposite, that if we're not talking about it, then it makes kids even more curious and they want to know and they want to figure it out for themselves. And it actually shows that if we are talking about sex intermittently, even from a very young age, obviously very age appropriate content, but Mm -hmm. even from a very young age through, you know, into puberty that um, kids end up having sex later than kids that weren't taught about sex and that have it with fewer partners and, you know, have more of a value around sex. So I think it's super important to be talking about these things. Um, Let's jump into puberty. Love it. How was puberty for you? How how did it treat you? Like garbage. (laughs) Literal garbage. Dumpster fired garbage. So for any of you that obviously can't see me, and it's also different now because my weight is a bit different, but um, I was, I'll say it this way, blessed with the curse of ginormous boobs. Ever since I was a kid, I want to say I was like a full, full C going on to a D by the time we were in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So puberty was not so fun. Didn't love it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't. This is going to sound probably pretty crazy to people, but I don't think I really came into like loving and understanding my body until like maybe three to four years ago. Like maybe that's probably when. So like it took me, and like you mentioned a lot earlier in the episode, and this could almost be a whole thing in itself a little bit, so I won't go too far into it, but the idea of the diet culture that you and I grew up in, Mm -hmm. we grew up in the decades of Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, South Beach Diet, Atkins diet every year. There's a new diet. Every TV program, every commercial you look at is telling us that we're too big and we always need to lose weight. And the entire focus of everything is all on losing weight. So I think Mm -hmm. that that really shaped, I believe, your and my puberty very differently than maybe some kids nowadays a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think it just... It kind of to me gave a bit of a negative connotation, like that that mm-hmm. me growing into my parts of my adult body weren't what they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. or they're not enough, mm-hmm. or they're too much. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel like there was a like just right category, like not to yeah. you know reference Goldilocks, but I didn't feel like there was that category there where like you and who you are and what your body is and everything is okay 
It's mm-hmm. enough. It's mm-hmm. normal. It mm-hmm. should be celebrated. Like, mm-hmm. I think that puberty really did you and I dirty because of the time frame we grew up in. And yeah. how many how many women were our teachers that were downing Diet Cokes and tabs, Yeah, which a lot of you aren't even going to know what tab is. It's an old soda that was like a sugar-free soda from back in the day, okay? But how many were downing that all day long so they weren't eating more or doing this or that? Like, it was everywhere. So I just think that by the time we got to puberty, we kind of had a really negative connotation on our bodies and Mm – I just think it took a long time to break out of that. Like, mm-hmm. how how was it for you? Um, I mean, I had the same thing. I don't really think I remember much more than, yeah, growing, my body growing. And um, I think, you know, getting your period is kind of the quintessential thing that women mm-hmm. go through. Um, I did want to just tag on to kind of our comments on how we were taught about periods and mm-hmm. the anatomically correct aspects of bodies. I think it's also really unfortunate that, and I get it, like the, you know, teachers take the boys in one room and the girls in the other room. Yep. But I think we all need to be learning about both, both types of bodies changing because it honestly, it wasn't even until I met my husband and then we started having conversations about puberty and stuff together that I was even like, like what happens to you during puberty? Like I knew the general things like your voice changes and, you know, you grow hair and all of that. But I was just like, I don't really even know like what your experience would have been like. And he didn't know anything about mine. I still think he, he still needs some like refreshers on like what (laughs) actually happens during a period. (laughs) Um, Little less so now that we have a child and that was like, you know, big topic conversation. But um, yeah, I feel like especially men like don't know anything about women's bodies. And I also think that women don't know a lot about men's bodies either. So I think that's, also a disservice that we should all be learning about all types of bodies, not just our own. Obviously, definitely our own, but on we should be talking about other people's bodies as well. Um, but back to the question of puberty for me, I think for me, it wasn't a huge deal, but I... The next question of like, were you treated differently after puberty, I think was important to me. Um, That for me, like I didn't have my dad in my household on a day-to-day basis. And so I have a few specific memories of like, I got my period and thankfully I had a mom that, you know, told me about it. We learned about it in school. I was... Unfortunately, well, I think this was one of the hardest parts that I also, like you, I went through puberty early. I got my period when I was 10 in fifth grade, and that was early for, I think, a lot of the people in our grade. Um, And so it was just hard to be, you know, one of the already blossoming people when all the boys were still way shorter than me and not blossoming at all yet. And, you know, they got there by like eighth grade. Um, But yeah, being in fifth grade and being somebody that was already going through this process, I think that piece of it was hard because it just felt like I was going faster than anybody else was. Um, But the actual like process of getting my period was not, not necessarily a big deal. I was a little bit like, don't talk about it. I don't like, I don't need to make it a big thing. It was just kind of like, oh, it happened. And my mom kind of, you know, kind of, I think she cried and was like, oh my God, it's happening now type thing. Uh, Not that it was like, oh, this is shameful, but my baby's growing up type thing. He's getting older. Yeah. And I was just like, stop. Stop. (laughs) Don't talk to me. You want to get zappy over the fact that I feel like (laughs) crap and like everything's wet and shitty. Thanks, mom. Yeah, that's lovely. 
Yeah. But then I remember her calling my dad and telling him and then him wanting to talk to me. And I just was like, kill me now, please. Like, I don't want to have this conversation. And I think that that's really unfortunate, too. Like, I hope if I have another, well, with my own child currently, I hope that he's able to talk to me about these things, even if he feels more comfortable talking to his dad about it. Like, I hope that we have a good enough relationship where he could come to me and talk about it. And it's not too awkward, you know, more than normal. Um, and you know, if I, if we end up having another child and have a daughter, like I would want the same for her that she could go to her dad and talk to him about, you know, whatever she wanted to talk to him about and it not feel like this is just really, really weird. Um, but that was really, really uncomfortable for me. And then I do think my relationship with my dad was a little bit weird after I hit puberty that I remember him making like a weird comment about my boobs as I, as they started getting bigger. And that was like really embarrassing. Yeah. I don't remember what he said, but I remember one time that he came to visit and just commented on like, they were getting bigger. It was like, yeah, that happened. Yeah, they are. That's welcome to life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and being really like uncomfortable about that. And then I think just in general, as you go through puberty, especially as a woman, how your body becomes more objectified by people outside of you. Um, you know, I remember in high school and this is, you know, I'd gone through puberty and was already kind of past that point by then. But even as like a freshman in high school, walking down the streets of Seattle and getting catcalled people thinking I was a lot older than I was. Um, I remember this actually at one specific time that I was like walking to my mom's work downtown and getting cat called by some construction people that I was walking past um, and feeling so horrible and so self-conscious and so just like, I wanted to just curl up in a ball and cry because it just felt like this is so gross. Like, why why do people feel like they can just comment on my body like this? Um, and I won't actually say what they said, but it was pretty horrible what they said. Um, and I do think, I mean, not to like shame my mom about this, but I remember I went to a coffee shop that was by her work because I just had to like calm myself down. Mm-hmm. And I got myself a coffee and then I called her and told her what happened. And there are a few moments like this in my childhood or well, in my teen years Mm -hmm. um, where my mom just kind of normalized it and was just like, yeah, that happens. That's how it is. Yeah. And I think that's because, you know, like you said, the patriarchy. Yeah. That's okay for men to speak like that. And it's been going on for this long that we just put up with it. And we're women and we brush it off and we keep going. And it's like we shouldn't have to, though. No, no. And so, yeah, I think, you know, our parents grew up in a generation where it was just like, it sucks, but we just kind of deal with it. And it, it just didn't sit well with me. It just, it felt like, that shouldn't be the response that I get. It should be, you know, I'm so sorry that that happened. You should never have to go through that. And, you know, hopefully we're working towards that not ever happening again. Um, Because, you know, our parents can't shelter us from everything as much as we want them to. And as much as I, as a parent want to, they can't. And so, you know, it, I don't think the response can be like, well, it's never going to happen again. And so like, don't worry about it. Like we do have Uh to be realistic about it, but also having empathy and also saying like, it's not your fault. Yeah. And that that's not something that you should have to take on for yourself as like how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your body, because it's not about you. It's completely about them and their ridiculous antics and, you know, the way that they think that they can just talk to people that way or talk to women that way. Um, so I think that 
is the aspect of puberty that I remember was just being treated more as an object than I wanted to be and feeling different from everyone else in the beginning and having some weird moments with parents of feeling like my body's changing and my parents are acting weird about it. (laughs) Oh, I get you, girly. We did that one. Oh, yeah. We had, we had, I think we had that throughout, you know, most of our childhood. And it Mm -hmm. just, it's unfortunate that sometimes that, like it, the way that a lot of the quote unquote norm of how things are, Mm -hmm. I think the way that sometimes how some of that got put on us, like you said, this is not to shame your mom or our parents or anything, but it's, It's how everyone was used to, but it's just not okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not okay. Like, and I mean, I think the biggest thing to remember with kids going through puberty like this too is like, if you think it's hard for you and you're the adult and you've already come through it, right? how do you think they feel? Like, mm-hmm. how do you think they're handling it? Probably not very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think to that can be helpful for kids to know Mm -hmm. that you know to have a conversation with your kids kind of like how we're having now and trying to have honest conversations about your own experience I think Mm -hmm. the mentality used to be as parents that we like shelter our kids from everything and we don't want them to know how much of a human we are until they're adults basically or even ever sometimes Mm -hmm. but I think you know again all age-appropriate conversations, like not sharing things that your kids shouldn't know about you, but um, having conversations with them of like, yeah, I went through this and it was really hard for me too. And I get where you're at. I I remember being at your age and what it was like to be that age. And then obviously, you know, every generation is going to be experiencing a little bit different things, but just trying to empathize with them and show them that you're not alone because you know, I've gone through it too. And it's hard. It's really hard. Exactly. I think you're, you're completely right on that. Yeah. So I think we're getting close to an hour. Um, There's plenty more on this topic that we could talk about, but I don't want to take us too far over our allotted time for our episode. So I think we might have to save this for another episode to kind of do like early childhood and then maybe teens and early adulthood. I really like that. I think that's a great one that we can do. Yeah, for sure. So is there anything that you want to add before we kind of sign off for today? I don't think so, my dear. I think I just think that this will be really fun because we have a couple of their places that we want to take this with you guys through experiences that you guys have all had um, going through aging while coming into your sexual identity and Mm -hmm. what all of that means. So Mm -hmm. I think we made a fantastic dent today and I'm just really excited for when it gets into a couple really Kayla has some very fun places to go with this. That'll be a little bit, um, a little bit provocative, but you know, that's, that's kind of what we're here for is we're here to give you talks like that. And it is okay to talk about that here. So mm-hmm. I am thrilled to get into the rest of this conversation next week. Yeah, me too. I think it's fun hearing about our own experiences and also it's kind of therapeutic for me and hopefully for you to talk through some of these things too, because Completely. We haven't actually sat down and talked about a lot of these things. And I think that's what I was really excited about creating this podcast for was, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a space that we are creating not only for you as listeners, but also for ourselves to dive into these things and feel a little bit normal and understand our own stories more, too. So I think that's kind of cool. Completely. Yeah. All right, listeners. Well, Thank you so much again for listening today. Um, If you would like to follow us, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And again, we would love for um, 
us to be able to have some questions that we can use on our podcast and also to just give us more ideas of what you as listeners actually want us to talk about. So if you would love to leave us a review, please do that. And with that, use the review as a way to leave us some comments and questions um, for us so that we, we know what you want. We know what would be of interest to you for us to talk about. Completely. So um, you can also follow us on Instagram at herontoppod. And then as always, we welcome you back next week to tune in to our next episode. I love that. All right. Well, with that, we hope you take care and we will see you next time. Thank you, everyone. Bye.